to Medium Cool, a movie podcast. I'm your host, Austin Glidden, and as always, you can find us on social media on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter by searching Medium Cool Pod. That is facebook.com backslash Medium Cool Pod, or you can search Medium Cool Pod on Instagram and we'll pop up, or at Medium Cool Pod on Twitter. You can also email us at mediumcoolpod at gmail.com. Remember to like, subscribe, follow wherever you're listening to this, whatever you have to do to keep up with all things Medium Cool. We really appreciate it. Leave a rating, leave a review, whatever you're willing to do. That rhymed. I should really get that down. I should do that every time. Anyways, um, I we really appreciate you guys listening. Thank you. And uh, today's episode is uh, going to be covering some random 2022 movies. Um, the first of which is a movie that I talked about a little bit with Charlie Eckenbarger, but I saw it months ago because it was in like the festival circuit and there were some uh, screeners running around and things like that. Um, but it just recently uh, was released. Okay. I think it was on the 13th, so a couple weeks ago. I actually didn't even know this was released. That's how under the radar it was. I didn't know until like a week ago or something. So uh, the movie Pleasure by Ninja Thyberg I'm going to be covering today uh, in more depth than what I did uh, with Charlie. Um, I even mentioned in the episode with Charlie that, uh, that I would be covering it and I would uh, do a more thorough job whenever the movie was released. So that's what we'll do today. I'm also going to talk about Richard Linklater's new movie, Apollo 10 and a Half, a space, uh, a space Age Childhood, that came out, uh, you know, I don't know, uh, now, at this point, a couple months ago, I guess. To be honest, again, had no idea until like last week that this movie was even released. I don't know if this is my fault or if this is like a marketing thing. Because I've been on Netflix a whole bunch of times and I haven't seen this movie pop up anywhere. Do they think I don't like Linklater? What's happening? Anyways, uh, then uh, my family and I went to see the Bob's Burgers movie, and I have a few things I want to say about it, so I want to talk a little bit about that. Probably won't talk too long on that one. Um, and uh, I'm also, I actually got around to seeing a movie that came out in February, uh, and that's Jackass Forever. I'm going to talk a little bit about that, and uh, hopefully, uh, well, I, I just have a lot to talk about with it, I guess. And I think it might be a little interesting. Almost more about Jackass and less about this specific movie, but I'll talk about it. And then I'm ending on um, like the most kind of uh, filmy film uh, of the group. That's not fair to say, actually. Now I'm looking back, as Pleasure definitely is, and Apollo 10 is, you know, yeah, that was a stupid statement. The point is, um, uh, On the Count of Three was a big Sundance success uh, last year. It's a dark comedy that I'll be covering here. Uh, to finish up today. So I'm going to be doing this solo today. Next week, however, uh, I'm planning on, Joe is out of town, uh, but he should be back by the time we record next week's episode. So uh, hopefully he will get a chance to see Top Gun Maverick, because if he does, and it really just comes down to if he's able to see it in time, uh, it'll be Joe and I talking about the original Top Gun, Top Gun Maverick, and then I personally plan to talk about everything, everywhere, all at once, uh, a new film that came out. I'll talk a little bit more about that in the outro. Uh, but for now, let's go ahead and jump into these five 2022 movies that I've uh, watched and I'm ready to cover, and uh, we're going to kick it off with pleasure. Pleasure from 2021, technically, it was in the festival circuit, but 2022, it was released officially, written and directed by Ninja Thyberg, cast Sophia Cop uh, Capel. Uh, the release date was October 8th, 2021 in Sweden, which is where uh, Thyberg's from. However, the U.S. release, it was a limited release, came out two weeks ago, May 13th, 
2022. Uh, it is currently not streaming anywhere to my knowledge, uh, but it is in theaters and select theaters. So if there is one around you, by all means, take this information and run with it. Uh, but it's about a 20-year-old uh, Bella Cherry, a young lady uh, that uh, leaves her small town in Sweden for Los Angeles with the aim to become the world's next big porn star. But the road to her goal turns out to be bumpier than she imagined, uh, which is <laughs> that <laughs> there has to be uh, like euphemism there. I feel like I'll probably have a few of those in here, but um, yeah, that pretty much sums it up. Bella Cherry is this 20 year old uh, Swedish young lady that comes to the U.S. and wants to make it big in the porn industry. <clears throat> and uh, there are a lot of films about the porn industry, right? I mean, uh, Boogie Nights, which I talked about last week. I talked about loving it. Uh, Loveless, about Cherry. I mean, there are several. But these movies are less about po the porn industry and more about, you know, uh, the character or characters, right? So Boogie Nights, for example, we talked about. It's less about the porn industry. It starts off because it's, like, fun and they're having a great time making these porn movies with Mar Marky Mark, right? Um, but eventually it gets, it gets real dark. And it gets real bad, and it's more about the people. We actually leave the porn industry at a certain point, and it's just about these this ensemble cast. Uh, but Pleasure is arguably about the porn industry uh, through the lens of a character. So it's actually it's less about this character and more about that, and that's what makes this different, um, <clears throat> for better or for worse. So uh, I, I was able to see Pleasure, like I said, a few months ago. Uh, it has been in the festival circuits since Sundance, uh, last year, and finally got a theatrical release after Neon bought the rights uh, to the film and agreed to screen it uncut. Neon is uh, like A24 or any of those kind of um, distribution or production companies. Um, that's what Neon is. Neon's kind of growing right now as well. Uh, uh, Pleasure is an easy NC-17 movie, okay? And A24, who originally bought the rights... Uh, they wanted to release an R-rated cut and an uncut version, but director Ninja Thyberg was just not thrilled with the idea of an R-rated version, nor was I, but I'll get to that here in a moment. And uh, eventually Neon uh, bought the rights from A24, and uh, or A24 dropped it and Neon bought the rights. Uh, whatever minutia is there, the point is Neon got the rights and uh, moved toward release. And, and Neon, who put out uh, uh, Julia DeCarno's Palme d'Or winner, Titane, from last year, I think I talked about that one, uh, and has uh, an upcoming slate that includes uh, the Sundance title Flea, Pablo Lorraine's Spencer. Uh, you know, uh, I mean, some of these already came out, uh, of course, but um, and uh, and Spencer ha is the one with uh, Kristen Stewart came out last year, and then uh, Petite Maman, which came out last year. Uh, so they ha they had a bunch of titles, basically, is what I'm getting at, and um, it really seems like the right place for a movie uh, like Pleasure. With Neon, especially after seeing Titan, you know, <laughs> I feel like, you know, you could um, draw comparisons in terms of controversy there. So uh, I think the R-rated version would have lost something really important. And this will kind of help me explain my thoughts on pleasure, I think. I would I think it would have lost uh, its in a lot of its intensity uh, and the extent to which the character must go to get where they want to be. So, you know, you actually... <laughs> this is funny to say, but you actually need the big dicks, the vulvas, the sex. You know, this movie is not sexy. Not at all. 
All right, this is not like an attractive movie to me. It's not trying to be. It's raw. It's vulnerable. It's uh, it's unabashedly what it is. Right? It's uncut. That's what this film is. And uh, a film about an up-and-coming porn star looking to be the best and what it takes to get there, that's what this film is interested in. But again, like I said, um, you know, the film is less about the porn star, more about the porn industry, but the the initial story is what I just said about an up-and-coming porn star uh, looking to be the best to do whatever it takes to get there. And uh, the R rating, I think, would have neutered it, to be honest. I think it would have. Um, and I think this really needs the X or the NC-17, however you want to put it. So, you know, why, right? Because we follow Bella Cherry, the up-and-comer, no pun intended. <laughs> I just cracked myself up, sorry. Uh, <laughs> but she is the up-and-coming, you know, uh, wannabe porn star, right? And she moves to the States from Sweden and lives in kind of a communal situation with other up-and-comers. So uh, she works under this manager and this manager owns this big house, and all of the women that he manages live in this house, right? And it's kind of a terrible situation. I mean, not like an abusive situation, or anything, just like like having, you know, not great roommates, bad situation. Bella is played by Sophia Capel, a debut star, and, uh, you know, uh, shows not only a certain level of naivete, and I mean that as a compliment, uh, but also a willingness to go all the way. And I don't mean that sexually per se. I just mean like she really goes all in in this movie. Um, I feel like everything I'm saying is a euphemism. Like I don't mean that, but I just can't escape that now um, because of my stupid no pun intended joke. Now I just can't. Anyways, it's fine. So um, I'm just being like a 12-year-old reviewing this movie, even though I'm sitting here like, this movie is real art, and I'm like acting like a fucking idiot. So anyway, she gives um, a reserved performance here, Capel does, uh, that I found surprisingly effective, actually. Looking, you know, it makes me look forward to seeing if this level of performance can be replicated in the future, um, or, or like kind of what, what she does in the future, if she does anything. Um the rest of the cast are largely unknowns uh, or real, you know, porn actors or, you know, uh, people in the porn industry were actually involved in this, which was uh, kind of a part of the controversy as well, which I'll talk about in just a second. And this was an interesting choice that I'm glad they made, actually. There's just uh, something about this movie that feels more mature. And I don't mean that in like a sexual viewer discretion is advised way. I mean that in that it makes director Ninja Thyberg's first feature surprising to me while simultaneously making so much sense. Uh, the maturity comes from the use of time. I think that Thyberg lets these scenes really breathe, allowing for quiet moments and challenging moments for the audience. Uh, I think these are really good choices by someone who knew their vision uh, and executed it for us to experience. But that said, it does sometimes feel like Thyberg also just kind of fell into some really great moments um, by like happenstance that just kind of happened to play out. And uh, they were edited together in such a way that exudes that maturity, which you know what, like every film, I mean, dude, uh, oh my God, why can't I think it was Jen Apatow thrives on exactly what I just said, capture the things that happen and edit it together, right? It's a lot of improvisation and things. So even if that's true, it doesn't make Thyberg any less mature. I don't mean to say that, but I just mean, uh, I don't know how much of this was intentional and how much of this was uh, just kind of fell together, right? And uh, and and, and uh, was easy to put together. 
So I, I, I don't know where that falls. Either way, um, the way that I see it is the former, meaning that it was all kind of purposefully done, uh, means that it will likely be replicated in future endeavors, right? When Thyberg makes future films, because this is also Thyberg's debut feature. So, you know, uh, will we see this level of filmmaking in future endeavors um, or the latter, which is the it kind of fell into place? Again, that doesn't make it a, a bad exp uh, film or or it doesn't mean the filmmaker has less skill. Uh, but what the latter does say to me is that this could be a one off success because I don't know if it can be replicated if it wasn't intentional or if the situations weren't learned from. Right. So only time will tell. But for now, I choose to believe the former and praise Thyberg for this effort. I think Thyberg did a great job. Uh, the way this film is shot, you know, again, coming off raw and vulnerable, but uh, also clearly intentional. There is a scene where we see this dude's big dick and uh, then we see Bella performing fellatio. Uh, but we don't see the dick when she's doing this. Right. It's frame the The screen is framed in a way where all we see are eyes and, uh, you know, the head motion. But the effect is something very different because if we just saw her blowing some dude, it would be a completely different experience. But because of how it is framed and how it is shot, you know, we s during these scenes, you're not like, bro, she's sucking a dick. Like, that's not where my head is, okay? Uh, the way it's shot leads us to really see into those eyes and understand what the character is experiencing throughout these experiences that they're having in the film um, and less about the acts that are being acted out, right? Uh, so I thought that was a really uh, clever and smart move on Thyberg's part. Uh, the film uses Bella almost like a stand-in to show us, the viewer, the life that she's living. So Bella's not particularly developed per se, certainly enough, uh, certainly enough, right? But nothing crazy. Just enough. But it's not about her development, all right? It's about the industry, as I said earlier, uh, you know, and, and what that entails. It's about the hardship that comes with this job. It's about the male gaze, the pushing of women into spaces they don't want to go, but they feel like they have to in order to be successful. Uh, but it's not all negative, though, which is what I just said. You know, I feel like that implies that it's, um, you know, it, it comes off largely neutral in my view. Uh, there are moments where Bella is on the set of, you know, feminist porn shoots, for example, and she's treated incredibly well and she loves it and it's such a good experience and she feels rewarded by that, right? And this movie's not trying to demonize nor praise the industry. It just is, right? It's attempting for better or for worse to expose the industry for all its pros and cons. Uh, that's my interpretation of this. So whether this is the filmmaker's intention, uh, you know, it. It's what I got from the movie as a viewer, uh, kind of reading the text, so to speak, right? And I think it works very well. And this is part of where the controversy came in, because the people in the porn industry saw the film, and they felt like the film was actually demonizing the porn industry. <clears throat> and I watch it, and I'm just thinking, like, you know, bad stuff does happen in porn. Sorry. It just does. But actually, especially now, a lot of like wholesome experiences happen for porn stars. Like people are treated a lot better now than they were 10, 15 years ago, even. Right. And I don't know. I'm not, I'm not like a porn aficionado. I don't know shit about it really. Um, but I have watched documentaries. I did study it in school to some minor extent, right? Like I, I understand 
um, you know, uh, how, how it functions, I guess, to an extent. So on that level, like... Part of me wonders if it's just that the porn stars and the the people in the industry that were involved in this film are more frustrated because they're constantly criticized and judged in the porn industry, which is true. And I wonder if they're just extra sensitive. So any of the negative stuff that they see in the film automatically sets them off. And it makes me wonder if that's part of it. I can't imagine it not being. Because uh, me watching this movie as an outsider... Uh, I got a very neutral experience. I felt like I got a well-rounded experience about the the porn industry. And so I, I really hope that uh, people in the industry can, uh, I mean, they don't have to do anything. They can feel however they want. But, you know, I, I hope that they can see that. And I hope other people are getting the same experience I had because there are scenes where, for example, uh, Sophia Capel's character, Bella, uh, ends up going on this shoot because she wants to be managed by this like top manager, right? But the the rule for the top manager is you have to be willing to do anything, and she wasn't. She had several reservations about all kinds of stuff, and she goes onto this one set to prove herself to get more credits so that she can talk to this manager. And she goes into a really rough sex kind of uh, porn content experience, right? God, I talk about this so stupidly, but <laughs> this kind of like porn content experience. But anyway, she so she goes to this like rough this rough session, right? And there are two dudes there, and they're spitting on her, and they're slapping her, and there's a point where she kind of breaks down, and she's like starts yelling stop because she's like starts to freak out, and these guys were being like really aggressive with her, and then as soon as she yells stop, everyone starts taking care of her, right? And it does come off a little performative, to be honest, like, you know, like they're just trying to make her feel better and that, you know, uh, the producer is kind of annoyed because they're like burning cash as like the time goes. You know what I mean? Like they, they want to do this quick and get it done, but they still take care of her. Right. And so it's like uh, what I perceived is like, wow, all of a lot of these porn makers aren't studios and stuff. They're just individual kind of production companies that were made. And these people are just making this stuff. And with that in mind, you're going to have good and bad experiences. It's just what will happen. Now, I understand part of the problem is what is forcing that experience on people? What is leading to these bad experiences? Well, these people feel uh, obligated to do these things they don't want to do to get somewhere. I understand that as well. But I don't think this film is perpetuating any kind of negative thing. They're saying this exclusive experience was bad. It was not good for her, right? It didn't make her feel good. It didn't make her want to do this anymore. It didn't make her feel safe, right? Uh, but then there are other experiences that do, which all that tells me is she needs to find her niche and, uh, you know, do the thing that she loves to do, hopefully, right? Um, but that's also not where the film goes. So uh, I just, I don't know. I kind of see a lot of sides to this controversy. I don't really have any interest in digging into it anymore. Um, my experience of the film was very neutral. I didn't think it was demonizing nor praising the porn industry. I thought it was just giving us a pretty raw and vulnerable view. So all that said, if you get a chance to see pleasure, I would take that chance. Um, it will not be for everyone, okay? And it, it's uh, it's it's got a slow pace for some people. I actually love the pacing, like I said. I think it's perfect for the film, but it is pretty slow for some people, maybe. Um, and you know, it, it won't be for everyone. But 
well, let me just say this. It could be really intense for some people, okay, uh, especially if you're a bit more reserved about sexual things um, because this does go to some places, all right? Uh, but if you love cinema and you are mature enough to not just look at the screen and go, <laughs> boobs, uh, I think you're in for a treat. I really do. Um, I, I think that this is uh, one of those movies not unlike... I'll tell you what, the, the the movie that came to mind after I saw it, which these both these movies are very, very different, but Blue is the Warmest Color is what came to mind. Because there's like an equal level of controversy due to what is kind of um, uh, depicted, right? And uh, it just, uh, there was a controversy around that, a very different controversy, uh, but a controversy nonetheless. And so I just kept getting like vibes of Blue is the Warmest Color. So if you've seen Blue is the Warmest Color, and you're okay with seeing scenes about the porn industry, then feel free to watch this, okay? I think Pleasure's good. I gave this a four out of five. This is uh, currently, let me look at my uh, my current list and see where this ranks in my uh, top 10 up to now. Now, I haven't seen enough movies at all to make this worth a damn, okay? So this really means nothing, but right now it's currently number four. Okay, I have not seen nearly enough movies for that to mean anything. But just to give you the idea, out of everything I've seen this year, this is way up there for me. I actually thought this was uh, a really well done film. I don't know if this would be on my top ten. I highly doubt it with a four out of five and and uh, and things. But I think it is very good. Uh, if you've seen this though and you agree or disagree, please let us know at Medium Cool Pod on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. Uh, you can DM me. You can find me Austin Glidden on Instagram and Twitter. You can shoot me a message if you want. Or email us at mediumcoolpot at gmail.com. Let us know your thoughts. I will be right back to talk about Apollo 10 and a half, a space age childhood. All right, Apollo 10 and a half, a space age childhood from 2022, written and directed by the great Richard Linklater. The cast is Jack Black, Milo Coy. Um, or Milo Koi, maybe, uh, Lee Eddy and Bill Wise. Uh, it was released April 1st, 2022. It's streaming right now on Netflix. And if you haven't heard of this, uh, or maybe you've heard of it, but you didn't know it was streaming yet, neither did I. I actually had no idea. I saw it nowhere on Netflix. Like, I don't know what that says about me or what the algorithm is, but I had no idea this was even out yet. It was just on a list I had, but it was like in my, so here's a, in some inside baseball. When I make lists for movie, I need, movies I need to see for each year, I actually put all of them on there and I separate them between the ones that I either want or need to see blockbusters, which are a separate category that I put in there because often I don't want to see them, but I feel like I should, right? Um, because so many people are. And then there's just a bunch of other movies underneath that I can watch or that might be good, but I don't really want or need to see them. Um, <clears throat> and those are my three categories. And then as the year progresses, as movies come out, a lot of times, at least for the first half of the year, at the very least, or at least through the summer, maybe up to the fall, I'll start putting all the movies that come out at the top just so I can like know what's out, I know what I can watch, I know what I have available, and I do this about once a month, I'll update everything, or you know, sometimes more often. Uh, Apollo 10.5 was not up there, because I had no idea it was out. 
So it was just either an oversight on mine. Seems like a marketing problem with Netflix. I don't know why this wasn't uh, more places, especially being Richard Linklater. But whatever. Maybe I'm maybe I'm you know uh, out of touch. Anyways, uh, it's about a man who narrates stories of his life as a ten-year-old boy in 1969 Houston, weaving tales of nostalgia with a fantastical account of a journey to the moon. Now, if you don't know who Linklater is, or, or you're not a fan, my response is why? Like, why aren't you? Why are you listening to this? But anyways, Linklater is one of those dudes that is so interesting to me because he makes Dazed and Confused in '93, if I remember correctly, and then later he makes a movie, which is a big success, by the way, Dazed and Confused. But then he makes a movie, like this little movie, like Tape, which uh, when did that come out? 2001 or something? I think it came out the same year he did Waking Life. Uh, but anyways, he, he does that whole thing is shot on like a camcorder, I think. Uh, the cast is just like Ethan Hawke, Robert Sean Leonard, who was uh, also in Dead Poets Society, uh, and then Uma Thurman before, you know, Kill Bill and stuff. Uh, so she was like a person people knew, but she wasn't like huge, I would say. I think that's fair to say. But anyways, just like this little, just this little movie, you know what I mean? So he makes something like tape. He has Dazed and Confused in his back pocket from like nearly a decade prior, and then... Um, he embarks on the Before trilogy, which started, I believe, in 96, or 95, and then 2004, and then 2013, so they were all nine years apart. Um, and then he does Boyhood, which was shot over the course of 12 years, uh, literally watching a six-year-old protagonist turn 18, so we just watch them grow up. It's kind of an incredible feat that he was able to pull that off. Uh, and then he did Waking Life and Scanner Darkly. These are not chronological, as you can tell. But he did uh, he did Waking Life and Scanner Darkly, which are kind of rotoscope animation movies that he did, um, which, much like Apollo, we'll get there. Uh, Linklater's a guy that I don't think about, you know, as one of my favorite filmmakers, or even comes to mind when I think of the greats, yet he has accomplished really special things. Uh, and not just once, and not just twice, I mean multiple times throughout his career, he has done, I don't want to say groundbreaking things, but just really interesting, unique experiments almost, you know, and some experiments are better than others, but he is an artist, this guy, you know what I mean? He is an artist, and, and I, I hope he lasts the test of time. I believe he will, but I remember, j just as a caveat, I remember seeing Waking Life years ago. Now, I didn't see it right when it came out. Uh, actually, I saw it uh, when I went to Blockbuster and a friend of mine worked there and he told me to check out Waking Life. You know, he's like really hyped about this. And the cover seemed interesting and weird. I remember checking out the case. Uh, so I just, you know, rented it blind. And, uh, you know, I definitely didn't get it, but it was still really cool to me because I never seen anything like it. And at the very least, I was able to talk about it with people and talk about how bizarre it was for me and, you know, about how uh, it's, a you know, in my mind at the time, I perceived it as, you know, it being about the last six minutes of brain activity that you have before your brain actually dies, um, you know, and, and what those dreams may look like. Like, that's kind of how I interpret it. It's been so long since I've seen it, I would have to rewatch it. But I remember thinking that and telling so many people about it and how interesting of a concept that was for me. And... Later, I watched it, you know, after, because I probably saw it in 2002 or three. I think, I think I saw this before I really got into film, but I watched it again after that. And I remember it was something really special. Like, I don't know, I, would, I, I feel like I got it at that time, but it was still something so unique. You know, they, they filmed the movie and then they rotoscoped the entire film to look bizarre like a dream, like an animation, even though it's actual people doing stuff. And, and that kind of... That kind of uh, animation, if you will, is so unique and interesting looking. 
Um, and now, 16 years later, after uh, a scanner darkly, at least, you know, Linklater makes a what well, has it been 16? Yeah, I think 16 years. Linklater makes a very different picture using what I will call his trademark animation style. And uh, that film is called Apollo 10 and a Half, A Space Age Childhood. Now, the film follows Stan, a preteen boy who has fantasies of going to the moon. And Jack Black plays a grown-up version of Stan, narrating the entire story. And it has a, <clears throat> excuse me, it has a lot of narration, music, and uh, really cool animation. So, I mean, where, where do you lose here? But uh, Stan's father is uh, known simply as dad. He works for NASA in like shipping and receiving, which Stan is a little embarrassed about because it's not like a cool job, like an astronaut or something, you know. So Stan has um, five other siblings as well. And uh, if I remember correctly, I think it was five. And uh, a mother who tries to wrangle them all together all the time. Uh, but, you know, they're really just like a typical suburban late 60s family. You know, think Wonder Years or something. You know, it's like very much that style, that era of uh, family. So this movie is, you know, taking those people and it's less about plot or even character development for that matter. Um, it's really taking these people and Apollo 10 and a half is letting us, the viewers, experience what it was like to live through such a staple time in history and the moon landing. And to see that experience through the eyes of an evolving child, uh, you know, during a critical part in his development, really, you know, because uh, he is a, he's a preteen, but he's getting there. Right. So there's a lot going on in his life. And uh, like many Linklater films, this has an autobiographical element to it, uh, though not I don't think it's like a direct official kind of autobiography, uh, but he pulls a lot of things from what he remembers at that time. Uh, being a child. So, you know, we learn about being a child in Houston in 1969. We follow Stan as we are told a story, um, you know, in a, in a way reminiscent of Goodfellas or Casino. Now, I don't mean to compare these at all. Please understand, not in content is this anything close. Um, but in how the those two uh, Scorsese movies, you know, they they have a tone of narration, you know, specific scenes that give context to that narration and great music that seems to play the entire time. So no matter how long or short the movie is, it never feels long enough because you just want to keep going. Like, like Casino's three hours long and it always feels like an easy two, maybe. Like, it just flies by for me. So um, Apollo 10 and a half is by no means on that level of those Scorsese pictures, uh, but it does provide a much more experiential... Uh, what do I say here? Experience, <laughs> uh, to be redundant, but it's very experiential is what I'm saying. And so, you know, you get a lot of the music, you get Jack Black's uh, narration, and you get the context as we watch these things unfold and this really interesting rotoscoped animation. Uh, so uh, we live with this family, too, this family that I described to you for 97 minutes, and it's wonderful. Uh, Mind-blowing? No, but it's a good time. It really is. This is one of those movies that I don't, predict will make my top 10 at the end of the year but it's one that I encourage I want to encourage people to check out you know maybe uh, I don't even know if it'd be an honorable mention for that matter but I might bring it up just because it's interesting um, not only because it is easily accessible on Netflix but also because it is well one it's a Linklater film but it's also Linklater being Linklater as fuck <laughs> like it really is like a Linklater movie to me and uh, there's like a hangout quality to it like in many of his films like Dazed and Confused or Everybody Wants Some 
Um, but, you know, we, we hang out in the late 60s. This is not like those movies either, really. But I'm just saying there are moments where there's like hangout moments, you know. We hang out, in the, but also we as the viewer hang out in the late 60s during one of, again, the most notable historical events of our of the era. Um, but I also want to touch on Jack Black's narration. It's actually really great and helpful to the film. Uh, he provides the tone, uh, a nostalgic personal kind of, uh, well, tone. <laughs> uh, he provides a nostalgic and personal tone that gives the film legs um, and, and really helps it kind of move along and really helps us uh, immerse into it. Uh, it's, it's very good. Jack Black is actually uh, part of what makes this film work as a whole. Uh, and and uh, I feel like a lot of Jack Black's stuff, I don't know, from Bernie pretty much, I think that was like 2012 or 13 on, um, the, he's done some interesting stuff. And this is a really interesting one because if you don't know Jack Black's voice, you'd never know it was him. There's nothing kind of hyperbolic or ridiculous about him, which he can often be, of course. Uh, this is a really reserved Jack Black narration. I really, really love it. Something I like about the film, too, is the level of detail in which Linklater goes to explain that whole era that he's talking about, how spaceships worked and what arcades and stores were like at the time, different nostalgic products that people would buy, you know, famous speeches at the time, et cetera, et cetera. He would pull these historical events and bring context and how those things affected not only his family, but his surroundings, you know, his culture, the, the area he lived. What did that look like? Uh, so, you know, at one point, I think he, if I remember correctly, he talks about the JFK assassination, you know, and, and it never comes off somber. It's never melancholy, nothing. It's all kind of this like upbeat, nostalgic thing. But they do work in these historical moments that are actually kind of like poignant for the film, uh, you know, and, and for only being 97 minutes, it, it was it was a fun time. I don't really have a lot to, uh, more to say about this movie other than uh, the animation is great, the music is great, Jack Black's narration is great, and those are really the crux of the film. Uh, I think some people may have been a little confused by the ending. I don't understand how. Um, if you watch this film as a 10-year-old boy's kind of fantasy uh, of, of life then, because there is reality in the film, but also he fantasizes a lot. Um, because the whole point is Stan, as a 10-year-old boy, wants to go to the moon. So, you know, he daydreams about these things and, and whatnot. And, but it doesn't necessarily, you know, do those kind of dream waves and make you know it's there or, or have, like, fuzzy corners on the screen. or It doesn't really have any tells that he's fantasizing. You just freaking know because it's unrealistic and ridiculous. You know what I mean? Um, so I think some people may have struggled with that. I, I just don't. I never had that problem in the least. So... Uh, I think this is pretty good. I give this film a three and a half out of five. Uh, I had a good time with it, and I hope you do too. I hope you do give it a shot. It's on Netflix. Uh, again, the film is uh, Apollo 10 and a half, A Space Age Childhood. Uh, 97 minutes, super easy to watch. If you've seen this and agree or disagree, again, please hit us up, Medium Cool Pod on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. I will be back in just a moment to talk about the Bob's Burger movie. Burgers, Bob, that's hard to say. The Bob's Burgers movie. Bob's Burgers. Yeah. All right. <laughs> I'm like really in my head today. Uh, the Bob's Burgers movie. And uh, yeah, I'll be back to talk about that in just a moment. All right. The Bob's Burgers movie from 2022, directed by uh, Lauren Bouchard and Bernard Derriman. It is written by Lauren Bouchard and Nora Smith. The cast, it's the entire crew here, okay? It includes H. John Benjamin, Kristen Schaal, 
uh, Dan Mintz, John Roberts, Eugene Meerman, who plays Gene, uh, Dan, uh, David Wayne actually didn't even know was involved in this. I love David Wayne. Uh, Zach Galifianakis, Kevin Klein, of course, is fish odor. I mean, all the, all the people are here, okay? And uh, the list goes on and on. So this was released last Friday, May 27th, 2022. I went with my family to see this. It's only in theaters at the moment. Um, but if you're a fan of the show, you'll like it. Uh, so why am I talking about the Bob's Burgers movie? Because, quite frankly, this is the exact type of movie that most people might just bring up, say a few little snippets about, and move on. Um, you know, because it's not really, I don't, anything I say sounds pretentious immediately. This isn't the type of film I that, are, that I think you can, like, dissect. You know what I mean? It's just like a fun show. I encourage all of you to go watch it. It's great. But, uh, I want to talk a little bit about TV shows that get movies made about them. Also, so I'm going to talk a little more broadly about it. But in the case of the Bob's Burgers movie, when a ruptured water main creates an enormous sinkhole right in front of the Bob's Burgers, it blocks the entrance indefinitely and ruins the Belcher's plans for a successful summer. While Bob and Linda struggle to keep their business afloat, the kids tried to solve a mystery that could save the family's restaurant. As the dangers mount, these underdogs help each other find hope and fight to get back behind the counter where they belong. So uh, to kind of get this out of the way here, uh, it's it's an hour and forty two it's an hour and forty two minute episode. Okay, the movie is no better or worse than an average Bob's Burgers episode, and if you love Bob's Burgers like my family does, it is a great time. So go check it out. And quite frankly, if you're not a fan of Bob's Burgers, I don't know why you'd even think to watch this. Okay, <laughs> I just don't understand why you would go out of your way to watch this one and not watch the show. It really does just feel. Like uh, an episode, minus the fact that certain characters that are not directly related maybe to the specific story about the ruptured water main or the mystery that the kids are trying to figure out. Uh, like Zeke, for example, is only in like a scene or something, you know, um, Marshmallow and different other characters that are kind of side characters, Mort. People like that don't exist, right? Uh, they're just not really in it. I mean, you might see them at some point in the distance, you know, like uh, on the periphery, but they don't ever talk. They don't have moments. But we do get to see different parts of of uh, the city that they're in and, and uh, different uh, areas and whatnot. So it, it, it's a fun time. That's really the extent of any kind of thoughts or reviews or anything that you can really say about Bob's Burgers. I think it's uh, it's as good as the show. And if I ever want to review something like the show, I will because it's all going to be the same. H. John Benjamin is excellent. Kristen Schaal's excellent. Dan Mintz is excellent. I mean, the whole cast, the whole crew, uh, everything was done really well. And the animation has that look whenever you do have a movie, not unlike the Simpsons movie or anything like that, where it doesn't look exactly like the cartoon. Like, it's clearly, there's, like, more budget. There are, like, more uh, layers to the the color palette and, like, more times to put in the shadowing and things like that. So that's really the only difference. I really do think this is, like, an hour and 42-minute episode. That's it. So why am I talking about this, then? I think I think movies like this are interesting. Because, like I said before, you know, you had The Simpsons, they had a movie. Beavis and Butthead to America was a thing. Uh, there are several other, I mean, South Park had a movie. Uh, I mean, there, there are cartoons that get movies. Um, uh, actually, uh, even uh, Cowboy Bebop had the TV series and then the movie. And I'll use Cowboy Bebop as an example. 
I did not think the movie was any better or worse than any basic episode of Cowboy Bebop. So I think that there's like a, a, a common thing between uh, cartoons that end up spawning movies, which it does not go the other way around. If there's a cartoon that is then made into a movie, that's a whole different thing. But when there's a popular cartoon, like I said, South Park, The Simpsons, Bob's Burgers, Bees of Butthead, whatever it is, um, those movies often have a common quality, and I'm usually not that impressed with them. I honestly can't think of any movie where I'm impressed by it. It just feels like another bit of content from it. And again, that's not a complaint. That's cool. I would, at worst case, that's what I want, right? So it's, it's a good, it's good. I'm glad it exists. But I find it really fascinating that these go to theaters, because, of course, you get like a kind of a communal, like everyone in one place watching it together rather than watching it at home on your TV or something. I get that. There's there's a different experience that can come from seeing it in the theaters. But is that necessary? Like, I feel like I feel like I, I, from now on, I just want to have higher standards for um, cartoons that spawn movies. Because in, on one hand, I want it to retain the magic it has on the on the on TV, right? I want Bob's Burgers, for example, the TV show, to be that, and I want the movie that comes from it to be that. But what I want more of is if you're going to make me watch an like three episodes in length or four episodes in length, you know, like one ep- basically one episode that takes the time of four episodes. I want more. Do you get what I'm saying? I, 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 I want it to be the show, but I need more plot or something. Like, give me something. Because I sat in that theater, and I was having a great time. I was sitting with my family and some friends, and we were watching the show, and I had a good time. I can't stress enough how much Bob's Burgers, like, the Bob's Burgers movie is cool. You should go watch it. My daughter loved it. My wife loved it. I had a great time. My friends loved it. I mean, it, it, there's nothing wrong with it. There's nothing bad to say, okay? But... Uh, what I'm saying is I just sometimes wish that these would just be more, though. I remember I was super disappointed in the Cowboy Bebop movie because I wanted that to be like a, a, like an anime movie, right? And it just didn't end up giving me enough to really give a shit. Now, again, I liked it because I like Cowboy Bebop, but as a movie, it's just kind of hard to think about you know what I mean because it's not really do- it's just like four episodes of the tv show put together or something you know what I'm saying am I am I wrong am I crazy here I, I feel like I, I want I want you to do some if you're gonna put it in a cinematic context can we just do something at least with the writing or something that is cinematic because Bob's Burgers movie's funny and the characters are the characters we know and love, and we meet new characters. You know, like, it does certain things like that well, but none of the things I just said can it not do on the TV show. It does them all. We get that all the time. So I don't know. I'm just kind of, like, ranting about this now. I'm ranting about a movie I liked, which is what's really funny. Um, but I don't think this is a movie you need to rush to the theater to see, I guess is my point. Like, why not just wait till it hits a streaming service? Because there's just nothing about it that kind of stands out and makes you go, you know what? I am going to pay the price of a ticket to go watch the show that feels like I should be able to watch it on TV. You know, I, I, I would have been just as happy to wait for this. Well, actually, I was, again, the experience of seeing it with my family stuff was great, so I'm glad we did. But I'm just saying, now having seen it, 
I can look back and just go, I, I could have waited and just watched this on my TV and uh, until until it came somewhere where I could watch it on the TV, I'd just watch the episodes again. You know what I'm saying? Anyways, I don't understand uh, cartoons that spawn movies. I don't understand those movies. Maybe you can tell me uh, what you think because I have... Uh, I don't know. So, so actually, let, let me go back here. Uh, something like with Beavis and Butthead do America, but also uh, with South Park, the one thing that was different is they could go all out. They didn't have to now, uh, you know, uh, appease the TV censors and uh, things of that nature. They could do whatever they wanted. They could say fuck as many times as they want. They could show buttholes and and you know blood and whatever. I don't know. Like I'm just being, excuse me, stupid, but. They could do anything they wanted, you know, but with the Bob's Burgers movie, it just wasn't any, it was literally nothing different than the show. So again, for better or for worse, if you like the show, cool. If you don't like the show, you won't like this. Like, I can't imagine someone who doesn't like the show liking this. There's no reason for this to exist beyond the people that like Bob's Burgers going to see it and possibly significant others, family, or children that are forced to go with uh, the other person who does like the show. That's all the show's for. So I know it sounds like I'm burying this movie. I think it's great. If you like Bob's Burgers, go watch it. I'm just saying don't expect anything more than essentially an extra-long episode. That's it. So for better or for worse, that's what's going on. Deal with it. Those are my thoughts. All right, I'm going to come back. I'm going to talk about Jackass Forever. I'm going to do something similar. With this, because what do you talk about with Jackass? You know what I'm saying? These guys are just crazy. So I'm going to talk a little bit about that. I'm going to talk a little bit about Jackass. Uh, uh, also, uh, Bob's Burgers. You know, I'm not even going to talk about ratings because there's just no point. I mean, I rated it on Letterbox, but it's like, who fucking cares? It's cool. Go watch it. I just, you know, I just want higher standards now. That's all I'm saying. God, Jackass forever. In a minute. Jackass Forever came out this year, 2022. It was directed by Jeff Tremaine. Uh, the cast is the the typical cast of characters. Johnny Knoxville, Steve-O, Chris Pontius, Dave England, Wee Man, Preston Lacey, and uh, a cast of new characters. Uh, it came out February 4th, 2022. Uh, so that came out, you know, a little, a little while back. Uh, I actually just forgot to watch this, to be honest. Like, this is one I was going to watch just because I grew up with Jackass. I was never as big a fan as someone like Jake. Whenever he came on recently, he was talking about Jackass was kind of like really formative for his like friend groups. And and uh, he was at a really kind of pivotal point in his life and, and, and how he was developing. And this just like hit him, you know. And we, I mean, I used to do stupid shit with my friends, you know, because uh, they say like, don't try this at home. But of course, everyone does. And so we would do stupid shit. Uh, but uh, yeah, uh, I just never got around to it. So this came out a couple months ago, February 4th, 2022. Uh, it's not streaming anywhere for free, but you can rent and buy this. Uh, Amazon or I'm sure YouTube has. You can rent it uh, different places. It's, it's pretty cheap. Uh, and basically after 11 years, the Jackass crew is back for another crusade. And uh, what do they do? Jackass shit. And if you've never seen Jackass, you can just skip to the next uh, to the next movie I talk about. All right, <laughs> because uh, you're not gonna know what Jackass shit is. Actually, you can hang tight because I will talk a little bit about how stupid they they are. But um, I have like kind of a soft spot in my heart for these guys because they are so stupid. <laughs> I mean, they do stupid, stupid things. Um, 
But this this uh, Jackass Forever, it's stupid to rate this. I'm not going to give you a rating for this. Yes, I rated it on Letterboxd, but I don't need to talk about ratings. What is the fucking point about rating a movie that is basically real life and people doing stupid shit to their bodies? For example, in the first Jackass movie, if I remember correctly, one of the guys, I believe it was Dave England, uh, if I have it correct, uh, he, he uh, goes into a hardware store. And where they're selling toilets, he just sits down on the toilet and takes a shit. These are not connected to anything. There's no water in them. He just takes a shit in a hardware store in a just a toilet. Not one that works. One you'd buy. That's crazy. You know what I'm saying? That's like fucked up. Of course, like the hardware people get pissed. It's crazy. All right. But then also, like right before he goes in, he poops his pants the time before and they have to wait till he has to poop again. (laughs) (laughs) that's really funny to me but the point is like they do stupid shit like that and it's amazing how these guys who basically made these they did these stupid little stunts and uh you know got in line with mtv and made a show that became kind of a phenomenon much like uh cartoons that spawn shows this was kind of like a reality show basically uh that spawned a movie and then there was a second one and a third one and now we have the fourth one and then there's even like a kind of a bonus thing that's like a 4.5 that kind of tells about the stunts and behind the scenes stuff but i haven't watched that yet but uh jackass forever is um pretty much these guys 20 years after it all began all right so it's 11 years since their last thing but it's like 20 years after uh they started give or take and uh, man, these guys do some crazy shit. There's uh, there's one stunt that they do where uh, the father of one of the new jackasses, okay, he comes in, and uh, they they put him and uh, I'm I'm not gonna remember his name, but I'm totally going to try to find it because uh, I want to say it's Aaron, um, but let me. Uh, I know that you're, if you're listening, you're like, yeah, it's Aaron, dude, just fucking go. But let me fucking find him. Will you just calm down? All right, it is Aaron. All right, Aaron McGahee. Uh, so basically, there's a there's a point where uh, he and the father of this uh, other dude. I want to remember his this guy's name. Uh, I, I'm like really terrible at this. Clearly, uh, it, but it's like an unusual name. They they call oh Dark Shark. That's what they call him. Dark Shark. It's a guy named Jasper. It's one of the new guys. It's his father. And so Dark Shark and Aaron are sat down in these chairs and they put these like big like space helmet type things on on their head but it's connected by like basically a hamster tube <laughs> I mean, it's not really this i mean it looks different but basically it's like a, a a smaller tube that connects both helmets and i thought they were gonna like fucking puke on each other or something because this is the kind of shit that they do but instead there's like a, an animal handler guy and he puts a tarantula in the middle and these two guys are trying to blow this thing away because they can't reach in. It's sealed at their neck. And basically the person that it's implied that the person that the spider goes into their helmet, they lose. Uh, we'll see if that's how it plays out. Um, but uh, Aaron's blowing and blowing and so is Dark Shark. But uh, the spider goes in Dark Shark's helmet, right? You can watch this on YouTube, by the way. They have a clip of this. And he grabs a couple of people, and he's freaked out. He won't open his eyes. And I'm this dude. I'd be freaking the fuck out, dude. This would not be funny, all right? I would not do this. But uh, he's freaking out. 
So then uh, they uh, Johnny says that Dark Shark won because he dealt with it so that Aaron has to let this spider bite him. And they show you the fangs at the beginning, and this fucker has long fangs. And so, of course, they all agree that the spider bites Aaron on the nipple, and then we watch it bite him in the nipple, and he goes, ow, and he like freaks out, of course. And it's funny because everyone's laughing. And it's like, why is this shit funny? I don't know, but I fucking laugh the whole time. I don't understand. There's another time where, and I'm saying some of these things because it's like you have to just watch it to see this. Like, this shit is so stupid. Um, There's a point where Wee Man is basically tied to four stakes on the ground and all he has is underwear on. And, uh, you know, his arm, he's just an X, basically, you know, and and he's tied up. And uh, they they basically uh, put uh, this vulture out there i don't think he knew it was going to be a vulture but they put a bunch of food on him and of course they put a bunch around his dick because that's just how they are and this vulture's like grabbing this food but it's biting him so they're like like his like it's like nutsack or like his his wiener or something was bleeding dude <laughs> i can't even not laugh about it because as i'm watching i'm cracking up i mean it's just such stupid shit this is like dumb youtube shit that we see now or something you know what i mean but they're just like the shit that they do is crazy. I mean, it's completely irresponsible. You know what I mean? Uh, but it's it's uh, it's silly. There's a, a point where um, Aaron again, the the dude, he's the saddest guy of this whole group. Um, but you know, there's a point where he tries out uh, uh, cups like over his nuts. You know what I mean to protect his balls and his dick. And so he's wearing this cup, and then they put him through a series of challenges. And one of the challenges is. Um, Basically, uh, they bring in like this guy who is known as one of the hardest hitters. I think he's a boxer. And uh, the dude punches Aaron in the balls. And the way Aaron responds is not like a typical ball punch. It looks like it hurts a lot worse. Um, There's also like a professional hockey player that shoots a puck right at his nuts. And the cup's like dented. Jesus Christ. So my point is, this is jackass. You know what I mean? If you go in the jackass forever, this is what you can expect. All right, because it's uh, it's something else. And it really does surprise me, actually, that uh, these guys actually took off. Because nowadays, we, we have, like, YouTube people that do this shit. You know what I'm saying? Maybe not to this quite to this extent. But we have people on YouTube that are doing crazy shit. And I'm just surprised, I guess, that, uh, you know, in, when was this? 2001? 2000 something like that and uh, i understand that the internet isn't what it is now right so this was like how you watch that shit but it's amazing that it's kind of like lasted the test of time i i think you know as a wrestling fan for example for example there was a uh, there was a pay-per-view for my favorite wrestling uh promotion AEW, uh last sunday and it was the hardy boys versus the young bucks the young bucks being kind of the newer great team the hardys being the kind of veteran great team they were a really great tag team back in the you know late 90s early 2000s and uh but watching them now that nostalgia just doesn't do anything for me you know uh for them now now watching sting wrestle because he's still really good like that's cool and if you don't know who these people are just bear with me you'll get what i'm saying uh but the hardys like i don't have any kind of nostalgia for that and it's surprising though how much nostalgia 
people have for someone like the Hardys or 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 uh, for something like Jackass, where people still twenty plus years later get hyped as fuck over these people being jackasses. You know what I mean? Uh, I, I think it's really interesting. Uh, this is not going to be a movie for everyone, of course, but if you were a fan of Jackass and you haven't seen this yet, or you like really silly shit or watch, you like to watch people hurt themselves and laugh about it, um, or, or not <laughs> in some cases, um, please, by all means, check this out. I actually thought this was a, 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 great, a, a great deal of fun. I really did. I really did. So uh, I, I hope that uh, that you enjoy yourself and you check it out. Again, I'm not going to rate it because what's the fucking point? Like, you know what I mean? It, it, there's just no reason to rate a movie like this because it's not trying to be like any kind of uh, great piece of cinema. It's just trying to be there. There's literally nothing else it can be other than entertainment. And it was entertaining. So on that level. I'll have to. I'll. I'll happily suggest that you go check it out if this is your kind of thing. Um, if you uh, have any thoughts on this, as always, please hit us up, Medium Cool Pod on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. I will be right back to talk about the last film for the day, on the count of three. On the count of three from 2022, it hit the festival circuit in 2021. I first heard about it probably last summer or something or shortly after Sundance, whenever this kind of became a bit of a Sundance darling from what I was seeing. Uh, nobody was necessarily saying it was the best film of the year, but everyone was just saying this is actually really good. Uh, On the count of three, it's directed by Jared Carmichael, written by Ari Katcher and Ryan Welch. It has uh, stars Jared Carmichael, the director, as well as uh, Christopher Abbott, who was also in um, Brandon Cronenberg's Possessor. Love, love, love that movie. My number two movie from that year. Uh, with small cameos by J.B. Smoove, and, uh, which I know him most from Curb Your Enthusiasm, but you look him up, you'll recognize him if you don't know the name. And Henry Winkler, which we all know and love. Uh, release date was May 13th, 2022, so a couple of weeks ago. This was a limited release, of course. And uh, you can rent this online or find select theaters. Uh, it Basically, Val has uh, reached a place where he feels the only way out is to end things, meaning suicide. But he considers himself a bit of a failure, his effectiveness lacking. So he figures he could use some help. As luck would have it, Val's best friend Kevin is recovering from a failed suicide attempt, so he seems like the perfect partner for executing this double suicide plan. But before they go, they have some unfinished business to attend to. And it's exactly this. Uh, these two guys, they want to basically put guns to each other's head and shoot each other and double suicide, and it's done. Um, and uh, But they have some things that they need to do before they do it, and that's the whole movie. That is the entire movie. It's like 86 minutes or something. I don't have it pulled up right now, but it's a it's a really uh, you know relatively short movie, like a lot of of uh, independent films, and it's a dark comedy, basically about uh, these these dudes that want to kill themselves. Uh, so the first I, I watched like the first 17 minutes of this movie or something, and I ended up texting my best friend, and I was like, <laughs> I was like, yo, I've only watched 17 minutes of this, and you got to watch this. This is like really great dark comedy because it's that kind of subtle comedy too. It's not har har comedy, or it's not like super out there like uh, Martin McDonough in Bruges type dark comedy where it's just very in your face and abrasive. 
this is that kind of just more subtle, buddy, dark comedy. It's like the content is the dark aspect, more so than specifically maybe what people are saying. Um, but there, this this movie has a heart. I, I do want to talk about the dark comedy real quick, though. Um, so uh, you have these two friends. Uh, Christopher Abbott is the guy that was had the failed suicide attempt. And uh, Jared Carmichael is the one who is just ready. He is just so numb to the world right now. He's just ready to go. He has problems of his own. And, uh, you know, the, these guys will just be driving down the street and they'll be talking about killing themselves. And then one of them will just start playing, you know, um, like Papa Roach or something. <laughs> you know, a song about suicide. And then they'll have this, like, conversation not unlike Jules and Vincent from Pulp Fiction arguing about, you know, foot massages or something. Like, they'll just start arguing about, dude, I don't want the fucking last song that we listened to to be Papa Roach. I don't give a fuck what it's about. That's some cliche bullshit. Why would you listen to something that's about suicide when you're about to kill, commit suicide? It's like a fucking stereotype, and they're just arguing and arguing and arguing. And it's just, um, it's just really fun because then at some point, Christopher Abbott's character, um, Kevin, will just be you know, like driving by himself and he finally gets to listen to this Papa Roach song. He's just like really into it, you know. It's shit like that, you know. It's not like super har-har, like outward funny. It's just uh, there's like these little moments that actually made me laugh uh, and that was really refreshing. But the the film is also just a very simple kind of bare-bones story about these two men uh, trying to get to a point where they feel comfortable ending at all. And uh, I know that sounds really grim, but that's part of the dark humor, right? Um, so... Uh, I, I really love the dark humor here. If you're a fan of dark comedy, this is uh, I think this does it really well. And it feels it does feel like an independent film. And I love that, actually. Like, I love you can always get that feel whenever something feels a bit smaller. And sometimes I really kind of love the boundaries that come with that indie feel. Um, and when I say indie, I don't mean like an indie movie like fucking Juno or something. I'm not talking about that. I'm just saying, you know, like, for example, um, the, the movie uh, The Killing of Two Lovers that I talked about last year. It was like uh, my runner up for my number 10 and uh, or like my my I think I had two for my number. Whatever the fuck happened. I talked about it on our top 10 list is the point. And uh, that movie, that same thing. It's like 70 something minutes or like 80 something minutes. And it was it, it, you can feel that independent vibe, but it's like a good thing in that case. Like, I, I think that's good. And this is the same thing. This is the same thing. Uh, Jared Carmichael is uh, directing here, but he's also starring, as I said, and he and Christopher Abbott are absolutely great kind of buddies, uh, protagonists that we follow. And the things that they deal with in their life, I mean, we have some daddy issues at play. We have some relationship stuff. We have some uh, dealing with um, past trauma and also past failed suicide attempts. I mean, I've always thought my entire life, what is more depressing than wanting to kill yourself and then failing at that too? You know what I mean? Especially if you feel like a failure, if that's one of the reasons that leads to maybe a depression or something that makes you want to kill yourself. If you feel like a failure and then you fail at killing yourself, I feel like that has to be the just the absolute worst. And so you have this character that really had, I mean, what what does he do now? You know? Um, and I, I just find these characters really interesting. Again, Jared plays Val, uh, and he's the one with kind of relationship issues, um, and and uh, he you know has issues with his father. Um, Kevin has issues with uh, past trauma. I'll say it that way, and uh, and the failed suicide attempt. 
uh, attempt, and uh, th- their their friendship is so pure too, because they they bitch at each other the whole time, and they argue and they fight, but they all they never lose sight of the fact that they are best friends. And I just think that's uh, also kind of a refreshing thing. Like it actually feels like a real friendship, and it's funny because you you also kind of watch them and you're like, why in the fuck are they friends? Because it's not because they fight, but they're just so different. Like the music and everything that uh, that Kevin is playing, Val's just like, we're not fucking listening to this. You know, like they're always bickering about these things, and I just love I love their friendship, and I love how that friendship kind of blossoms throughout this film too. Because there are moments where they really put it to the test and they really find loyalty in one another. Um, and, and I'll let you kind of see how that like ebbs and flows, I guess. Uh, but it's, it's, it's just a very interesting dynamic, these two. The film is shot beautifully by cinematographer Marshall Adams. Um, and uh, it, it, again, it has that indie vibe, but uh, I, I love the kind of color palette to this movie. There's something kind of like grim and dull about it, and, and I mean that in a good way. There's something about the way the neutral colors work and and uh, the way that things contrast uh, that it seems kind of effortless, but also there's something about that, how that uh, kind of builds the vibe of the movie. Really, really big fan of that. Uh, there are a few night sequences, too, that I was a big fan of, uh, just kind of how they looked, you know, uh, dealing with flashlights and, and low lights and and things like that. Big fan. And I also want to talk about the music. The music's actually used really sparingly. And whenever it's there, it's kind of, uh, it feels kind of unusual to me for that type of film. It feels like, uh, I don't know, there's something unusual about it, but it's really great. I actually really enjoyed it. It stood out to me a few times, not in a bad way, just like it would play, and I'd be like, fuck, this is good. Um, I was actually really into it. So uh, great music, great, you know, good sound design. Uh, you have uh, good, uh, the editing actually plays into it, particularly at the beginning. Thought that was great. I mean, this is just one of those movies that just shows uh, that there is someone that has a talent that I'm excited to see where that goes. Uh, and that person being Jared Carmichael, the filmmaker. I'm excited to see what they do next. Uh, I thought this was a like this is just one of those movies that whenever you know you don't have a big budget, because let me see if I know how much. So this movie, uh, I don't know what the budget was for this movie. Unfortunately, I can't find that right now. But uh, you know, it, it's uh, it, it clearly doesn't have like a huge budget, um, and it looks great. Like I said, it sounds great. They had a great everything. You know, like I, I can't say anything bad about this movie. I mean, it really is a solid, solid picture. Um, but it's also it only is what it is, if that makes sense, right? Like it's it's not anything groundbreaking. It's not any kind of like five out of five movie. But it is a, a really like entertaining and kind of meaningful and heartfelt film about these two guys that make a suicide pact. And <laughs> I know, I know that sounds really grim, but in all honesty, like that's that kind of uh, like heavy, that heaviness that comes with that kind of content is uh, is is well done here. It really, really is. Also, um, Kevin's coat is so fucking awesome. I don't actually know if I would wear it, but I actually really love it. It's like uh, a weird rainbow of primary colors, like this dark purple and this dark green and bold red and yellow you know like um but it's all just like these stripes i actually really love it i wish uh i wish i knew where i could get one and maybe i would get one i it, it's not really looking like something i would want to wear i just wish i could pull it off like kevin because he looks so just kind of uh, a mess 
you know, in this coat, but I actually really love the coat. That's just a random side uh, side point. Like I said, I mean, this film really uh, deals with um, these characters meaning uh, like what life means to them and them finding reasons to live or to not. Right. Uh, and you know, finding their friendship and how meaningful those things are. You know, when you're ready to give up on things, sometimes, uh, you know, at least as far as this film goes, sometimes that's actually what it takes for you to finally give up and see that there are things worth living for. And again, I'm not saying that they live or die. You can see how the suicide pact plays out, but they do kind of like challenge these ideas throughout the film, uh, whether it be introspective, uh, introspective, that and whether it be introspective or outwardly saying it to one another, uh, you kind of watch them struggle and and uh, deal with some of these things. And I also love how some of the um, some of the characters' backstories, like past traumas and things, are actually played with because a lot of times I can't even think of one that is just outwardly spoken, like. Like, no stories are just told to tell you this person had a hard life. You pick it up during interactions and how things play out and how they react to things. Uh, And I just really like that because there is a subtlety to it that we often don't see uh, in a lot of newer movies that I really, really appreciate here. So um, all of that to say, I think on the count of three, I understand why it was a big Sundance success. Very glad that it got a a theatrical uh, release currently as of... Um, uh, uh, as of the date of this uh, episode, it, from what I can see, it's only gotten $54,515 uh, in the box office last recorded. So, I mean, as an independent film, what are you going to do, right? Like, this isn't going to, this doesn't have the budget to get a ton of airplay or anything. You either know about this movie or you don't, and it has limited releases, and it's going to be playing in art cinemas and stuff, probably. Not that this is an art film, but it's to, like places that will actually get, like the music box in Chicago is going to get like independent films and stuff. And that's where you're going to see something like this. So, uh, if you have the opportunity to see it, I strongly encourage you to. I think it's a fun, like I said, I think it's like 86 minutes. It's a fun 86 minutes. Uh, there's, real, I have really no complaints. Like I said, it just is what it is. Uh, I give this film a four out of five. Um, and uh, it, this might be an honorable mention at the end of the year. We'll see. I have no idea. But for now, that's where it stands. If you have seen it and you agree or disagree, please hit us up. Medium Cool Pod on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. You can also email us at, fa- at um, Facebook.com. You can email us at MediumCoolPod at gmail.com. I'll be right back to send us off. Stick around. All right, that was our show today. Thank you guys for hanging out. Uh, next week, like I said, uh, we're going to be doing, uh, I think, Joe. Again, he's he's on vacation right now, but if he gets back in time and is able to see Top Gun Maverick because he has not seen it yet, but if he gets a chance to see it before we have to record, um, you know, he's going to be on here. If not, I'll get someone else. Um, but we're going to be talking about the original Top Gun. We're going to be talking about Top Gun Maverick, and I'm going to uh, plan on talking about everything, everywhere, all at once, which is a pretty popular film right now. It's a movie that uh, I've been hearing a lot, a lot, a lot about. It came out recently, uh, like I think a couple weeks ago maybe, or or a week ago, something like that. Um, I'd I'd have to look up the exact date, but the point is it came out recently. I'm going to finally watch it. I have a a copy of it I'm I'm able to see, so uh, I am going to do that. 
And I'm excited to cover those things. Uh, today, again, we covered these uh, five movies, and there wasn't one of them that I would say was bad. You should definitely check out all of these, though none of them blew my mind. Uh, Pleasure is a very specific type of film that not everyone's going to want to watch, but on the count of three, I think is the most accessible film, despite its kind of dark content. So disclaimer there, if you have any kind of triggers... Uh, that would deal with suicide you might not want to but uh if you're into dark comedy this is the movie for you so uh join us next week thank you guys so much i love you good night good luck and take it easy